Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. For the next few weeks, lawmakers are back in Santa Fe, hashing out how much money the state will spend and what should or shouldn't be a law in New Mexico. We're, of course, talking about the legislative session. A regular 30-day session started just last Tuesday in the Roundhouse, and by all indications, there are a lot of things legislators will be grappling with. Crime, education, taxes, and healthcare investments. Those are just a few of the big topics the governor has her eyes on this session. Remember, the agendas for these shorter 30-day sessions are controlled by the governor, which means she controls the conversation about the bills that will and won't be considered. This week, we're catching up on what's happened in the first week of the session and what is still ahead. Again, a lot is still ahead. Joining us to help talk about it this week is KRQE News 13 investigative data reporter Curtis Segarra. Thank you for joining us, Curtis. Thanks for having me, Chris. Always good to be here. You have been penning these daily posts on KRQE.com, which I encourage everyone to check out. They are called Roundhouse Roundup. Uh, I got to ask you first, though, what is a Roundhouse Roundup? A Roundhouse Roundup is just a roundup of what happened kind of during the day at the legislative session and what to look forward to um, coming forward. And so how do you put these things together? You're looking at committee agendas and whatnot? Yeah, just following the meetings along. They do broadcast uh, most of their meetings on the state's website. So just watching in, listening to what they're saying, looking at the handouts. Uh, they talk about a lot. So it's almost impossible to cover all the details of everything, but we try to hit the big points. Yeah. So with a week's worth of roundups done, Curtis, what has this first week been like? What's the pace? Is it busy, slow? We mentioned this is a shorter session. Yeah, generally the first week is fairly slow as lawmakers do a lot lot of organizational meetings. Legislators start introducing bills. They get organized on the rules that they have to follow as they go through the lawmaking process. So it's not the fastest, most exciting debates. Those are yet to come. We also have already heard the governor do her state of the state address. That's just really updating us as to what's been going on in the state government. And of course, a lot of legislators um, were listening in, hearing what she wanted to uh, have introduced. Those are the bills that are, you know, authorized for consideration. The governor uh, submits those for the legislature to bring up. And there's already been a lot of bills pre-filed that have been introduced. You mentioned that state of the state address. This is the fourth time that Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham has given one of these speeches. So what were some of the highlights this time around? Um, having watched and listened to the speech myself as well, I feel like there were a few main points that she emphasized, but what did you take away? Yeah, she talked about a few key topics, including just highlighting recent legislation that has passed over the last few years. Then she turned to what the state's current needs are. So obviously she mentioned the pandemic, which everyone has had to deal with, economic supply chain issues that are facing the state, uh, inflation that a lot of New Mexicans are having, having to deal with, uh, um, so she introduced all these issues, then suggested some things the legislature might be able to do about that, some solutions, such as cutting taxes for New Mexicans. Uh, she suggested pay raises for educators, tougher penalties for serious violent offenders. And she pointed out that the lawmaking session isn't a competition, although, of course, there are politics involved, so the debates can get heated. Uh, but while she said it's not a competition, it is worth mentioning that she is going to be running for re-election later this year. So 
in some senses for her, this may be the start of that competition. Let's shift to crime a little bit. We know one of the areas the governor and lawmakers are expected to pay a lot of attention to this year. And from the week prior to the session, um, the governor outlined a list of crime bills, including creating a new criminal threat statute, increasing penalties for second degree murder, changing the rules for criminals accused of violent or serious crimes, and what a judge has to consider before choosing if to keep them in jail while awaiting trial. So are all of these bills being considered? Are are they pre-filed? These were all pre-filed before the session even started, so that means they were written up, ready to go. The debates on those haven't really happened yet, so those are yet to come. If you can break it down one by one, what is the criminal threat statute? This would make it a fourth-degree felony to initiate a criminal threat, uh, which means that you know, any threat that causes or risks even starting a lockdown or school disruption uh, at a business, a home, a public area, those would become a crime. So basically an intent to cause, you know, illegal property damage, harm to another person, It could be fairly broadly interpreted, but it makes it a crime to make a threat. We should note that the proposal to write this new criminal threat charge into state statute is wrapped up in a larger bill, that is House Bill 68, and that has a host of proposed changes to the state's criminal code at large. Now, some of those changes notably are making unlawful possession of a handgun by a person a fourth-degree felony instead of a misdemeanor, what it is right now. There's also an added penalty for fleeing from law enforcement. That would be charged as a third-degree felony if that fleeing results in injury. And then there's also a proposal in that bill to enhance penalties related to having guns on school campuses. Right, Curtis? Yeah, this would expand on existing law that restricts where people can carry a deadly weapon, in other words, a gun. Currently, it's illegal for most people to carry a gun on school premises, but the bill would expand that to include anywhere within 1,000 feet of most schools. Um, And that's hard to imagine what 1,000 feet is, but imagine a distance between about eight telephone poles, so a good distance around schools. Okay, so what are the enhanced penalties for second-degree murder? Second-degree murder is the type of murder that's not premeditated and not planned. It's more of an unplanned but still intentional killing. This would change state law so that there is no statute of limitations on second-degree murder. That means prosecutors could try to convict someone for second-degree murder no matter how much time has passed since the murder actually occurred. This bill would also make attempted second-degree murder punishable with nine years. Currently, that basic sentence is only six years. Another key part of the proposed changes to the second-degree murder charge would be adding more jail time to the basic sentence for those convicted of the crime. The proposal would up the sentence from a minimum of 15 years to 18 years in prison if convicted. So that is adding, of course, three years on top of the sentence. Yeah. So enhancing the charges for attempted or committed second degree murder and also removing that statute of limitations. So it could be tried at any time. The most consequential, I think, of of some of the bills that are being proposed here is something that lawmakers are calling this rebuttable presumption statute. Now, this goes back to something that Raul Torres actually talked about, but didn't name outright specifically on an episode of the New Mexico News podcast just last year. It's going to get a hearing. I'm excited because I've never been able to have it actually put before the legislature until now. Changes in how certain accused criminals are treated in terms of pretrial detention. The considerations for, for how you are held in jail before trial 
those would change. So what is this rebuttable presumption statute? What exactly would this bill be designed to do? I think to talk about what it's designed to do, you have to look at what's currently happening. So let's lay out what sometimes happens when someone is accused of a violent crime. If the police arrest them, the state will bring charges against them, in other words, prosecute them. And while waiting to set up, you know, a judge, a trial to get all of that administrative stuff rolling, uh, the person can usually be released on an agreement that they will return for the trial. That's the basic idea behind bail. Currently, if the state wants to keep that person in custody and not release them on bail because maybe they're a threat, the prosecutor on the case has to ask the court to detain them. The prosecutor also has to prove by clear and convincing evidence that no release conditions would reasonably protect the safety of anybody in the community. That is where kind of the, the idea of proving dangerousness comes in. Exactly. So right now, that uh, burden of proof is on the prosecutors. The new bill would automatically presume that the defendant is a danger in certain cases, I mean, if the offender is accused of first-degree murder, um, child trafficking, second-degree or greater sexual exploitation of a child, you know, the, some of the most serious offenses, that burden of proof would be taken off the prosecutor, and instead, they would just be presumed a danger. So it seems like this is a bill that sort of, as you had mentioned, it puts that burden of argument onto the defense attorneys now. And really the overall presumption is that if you commit these certain crimes, you're considered dangerous. Prove to us why you're not. Otherwise, you're going to be held in jail through trial. Exactly. And so it's it's a way to kind of get around the current constitutional setup um, through a legal rulemaking setup. We should also note that along the lines of fighting crime, the governor is also pushing for a 19% raise for New Mexico state police officers and a $100 million fund for law enforcement agencies to help hire, recruit, train officers. And that fund could be accessed by any law enforcement agency state Wide. Moving on from crime to the other big topic, education. The governor outlined potential raises for educators. What encompasses her education push? She proposed a lot of different aspects, including a 7% raise for all educators, which would total a cost of about $277 million. Uh, she talked about trying to make pay competitive with neighboring states. The data currently shows that New Mexico does seem to pay its teachers on average, a little lower than some of the neighboring states, Colorado and Texas, for example, do pay a little higher. Our average public school teacher salary is about 54000 Colorado and Texas pay more like 57000 That would be the biggest pay bump in recent memory, and it would put us first in the region for average educator pay. They deserve it. The governor also outlined funds for 735 new early childhood educators and an additional $85.5 million in scholarship funds for college tuition. We also mentioned taxes is something the governor has had her eyes on. What are the potential changes proposed for taxes? You know, there's a proposal to cut sales tax and stop taxing Social Security income. Yeah, the governor mentioned in her State of the State address that there's a large economic burden on the people of New Mexico, and she proposed to cut sales tax and also to stop taxing Social Security income. Now, currently, New Mexico is among about a dozen states that do tax Social Security income as personal income. Um, it's exempted for lower income folks, but that would make us join the majority of states that provide exemptions more broadly. I know this was something that the Republicans brought up in their um, 
counterpoint speech to the state of the state. Um, you know, when you hear about tax cuts and when you hear about crime bills, those are typically things that are associated on kind of the conservative lawmaking side of the spectrum. And we're in a year here now where we're seeing the Democratic governor and uh, the Democratic-controlled legislature in both branches are proposing these. So it is it is an interesting time that we're in to see this. And I know, again, as I would mention to the the Republicans had commented on that specifically in their rebuttal to the state of the state. I thought for a minute while I was listening to her, she almost became a Republican for a while during the election cycle. It's likely that a lot of these tax cuts are being pushed through now also because of how much money the state currently has. I mean, they don't have to uh, raise taxes to increase the general fund. We have a large um, amount of money in the general fund that they're able to spend. So in, in some people's eyes, that might be a signal that it's the right time to do these sorts of tax cuts. What are the other things the governor hit on in her speech? Seemingly, I'm just going to broadly say, was healthcare investments. They came across a wide range of proposals. Um, the governor mentioned a $10 million endowment to the state's medical school. She's supporting uh, this idea of having a fund for families taking care of elderly family members, calling it New Mexicare. She also mentioned possibly funding a new veterans home um, that would replace the one built in 1936 out there in truth or consequences. And then you've also got this idea of a rural health care delivery fund helping pay startup costs for communities seeking health care clinics and infrastructure. She sort of pointed to what Valencia County has been through trying to build a new hospital to replace the closed Boleyn Hospital. A lot of discussion about health care in this as well, right? I think you hit all of the big investments right on the head. I mean, there's a lot of money she's interested in spending to kind of improve health at various levels across the state. And of course, in some sense, we, we see the need for that even as uh, the pandemic continues. One thing she has put on uh, her executive message for the lawmakers to consider is a bill that would allow for New Mexicans to become enrolled in healthcare more easily. This specifically applies to folks that uh, you know are more lower income, don't have those health care benefits, this would allow the state to identify those individuals, kind of create some studying capacity to find those individuals and offer them health care options that they don't currently know they have. And as I understand it, that bill as well tries to like streamline the process of getting people enrolled in those programs. Exactly. So much of the activity last week centered around getting things started, the governor outlining her agenda in the state of the state. But there have been some other items that have come up debated so far. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, as I discussed early on, not a lot of the debates have really started yet, but we have seen some kind of preliminary discussions, especially related to budgets, uh, already concerning things like environmental topics. You know, there are some, uh, there's some legislation that's been proposed that would, for example, give New Mexicans the right to a clean environment. And last week we saw some demonstrators actually show up at the state capitol, uh, you know, demonstrating for environmental rights. So I think that's going to be a big topic going forward. We'll see how that plays out. That's, that would be considered the green amendment. Um, There's also going to be some discussion on things like potential staff increases for the cannabis control division. The governor has proposed uh, funding more positions at the cannabis control division. And when I talked to them recently, they said that the governor's funding would actually allow them to just about double their staff. So it could be a significant increase for them, although they do have a relatively small staff. Can we expect some more 
clarifications surrounding uh, cannabis related law, you think? Yeah, we definitely can. You know, one thing that has been kind of a point of confusion, I think, for some people is whether or not cannabis retail locations could also serve alcohol, for example. Um, the, the wording gets a little confusing in the law. So I think clarifying which places can and can't sell alcohol as well as cannabis will be, you know, one of those key things that will affect these businesses. A proposal on the table, Senate Bill 100 would specifically clarify existing cannabis law with this line, quote, cannabis and alcoholic beverages shall not be sold or consumed on the same premises. When do you think that things will really start heating up for lawmakers? I know in the beginning of the session, we're not really seeing these committee meetings where, you know, we're hearing from both sides or a lawmaker shouting at someone else or public comment happening. I mean, those are the things I typically think of when it comes to legislative sessions, those committee rooms where people are yelling at each other. Um, When do you think we'll start to see things starting to uh, heat up? Generally speaking, it's going to get more and more heated the closer it gets to the end because, you know, once you hit that that end, that's when it's all done. They have to get their legislation passed or pushed through before then. So, you know, as people really come down to the wire, they're going to be talking about this more and more. Um, some of the bills might show up earlier on the agenda, even in kind of uh, just financing discussions, because they are so such heated topics such as crime um, that we talked about before. Again, we know that really who is in control of this session is the governor, right? She puts out an executive message and it says, or several executive messages, which say which bills to consider alongside the budget. We know that there's a lot of bills that have been pre-filed, but they may not necessarily make it onto the call there are a few bills, though, that stuck out to you that have been pre-filed, right, Curtis? Yeah, there's a wide range of topics that those pre-filed bills hit. These are things legislators want to consider, but they kind of have to wait for the governor to introduce them, like you said, Chris. Um, you know, everything from just a lot of pandemic-related relief, you know, funds for additional K95, KN95 masks, funds for additional COVID-19 testing kits, um, and then stuff that is definitely more in the weeds, more political, things like trying to limit the governor's ability to uh, extend emergency declarations. We've seen her extend those throughout the pandemic. Legislators, of course, are bringing politics into that and trying to get some of that uh, on the table. Curtis, thank you for joining us. We know that people are going to be looking at these roundhouse roundups that, again, outline what is going on day to day to day. Uh, How do they reach you if they want to comment or have something you should look into? Uh, You can always find my bio on the krqe.com website. Uh, You can also email me directly at curtis.sagara at krqe.com. Yeah, Curtis, thanks for joining us. Um, We'll have another episode for you next week. In the meantime, feel free to reach out. I'm Gabrielle.Burkhart at krqe.com and gburknm on Twitter. If you like the show, give us a review on Apple Podcasts, share it with a friend, and visit our website at krqe.com slash podcasts. And I am Chris dot mckee at krqe.com and also you can reach me on twitter at at chris mckee tv thanks for listening 